0: The best rugby insight and analysis. OTB Sports Rugby. They don't look like the All Blacks. They're not playing like the All Blacks. They're barely clinging on. They never really look like they would win Test 2 or 3.
1: Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is just lacked that intensity. Well, Owen, you're looking very green. Feeling very
0: green. Uh, the kind of like the, the, the shade of envy kind of washing over me and uh, of fury that was felt at Stamford Bridge yesterday as the theme uh, this morning we're going to start in the green because uh, we never do that. We never do that. What we'll a turn up for the books! Because I'm sick of talking about Manchester United. Uh, we'll uh, get to them at the end. Manager beef is uh, in the green this morning. If you like your managers to to get angry with one another, then yesterday was a hell of a day for you and uh, just beautiful scenes really at the full time whistle. Uh, a million different meme formats. Came through uh, in those few seconds between Thomas Tuchel and Antonio Conte, and uh, it exploded after what was uh, a number of brilliant incidents throughout the game but between the two managers as well. Um, like it's very very hard to kind of think of, of anything uh, negative to say about two middle
1: aged men getting angry with one another. Uh, is it? I mean you know these these they lost control who do they think? what about the children it's terrible oh what was us we have to watch this and then they, i mean they abuse the referee afterwards uh, i think Tuchel probably goes too far with the referee afterwards like it's difficult to referee these premier league games it turns out and sometimes the refereeing isn't very good but how are you going to get good people to come and take those jobs if you constantly get abused yeah uh, yeah um I,
0: I guess so, but like that's just pre- Premier League managers, isn't it? Like the re- referees get this all the time. It's it's like it's just ridiculous. The um, I guess I, I don't know the, the petition afterwards. The, the second such petition around Anthony Taylor from Chelsea fans got uh, a lot of signatures. Um, Eighty thousand. Uh, yeah, there was definitely one before that like, got 80,000. This one might be on a similar level as oh, well, the Oh, the new one, fair. sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not that sure. That
1: was the last, last season's one. I um, mean, yeah. look, uh, it's not the referee's fault, right? That the two lads end up having to fight. Tuchel's going to say that it was, but he was spoiling for it. That's what he wanted. Tuchel wanted it. Do you not think? Oh, he was, Tuchel he was started, ready started for it. it yeah. Yeah. Tuchel
0: uh, hung on to the hand because uh, Antonio Conte didn't look him in the eye. In I English think he seconds. started the first one too.
1: Like, yeah. Conte, Conte goes to where he's allowed to go. For the celebration, mm. yeah, and then Tuchel kind of runs over to him and butts him, You're like, yeah. you, what? I mean, oh, so it wasn't it wasn't me, it was you? It definitely was you, yeah. Tukul also a much taller man than you might have thought from just looking at him on the sideline. When you see him in context, obviously uh, Antonio Conte is quite small. Yeah, Conte wins the fight. Obviously, does he? Just because yeah. he's a, he's a street fighter? Yeah, yeah. You gotta sometimes you gotta
0: sometimes think this through like he's taller than uh, contact I'm not sure it's much heavier
1: than I would say I would say I would say just by virtue of the like extra bonage mm. he's um there's a there's a couple of kilos in that no? yeah like um He's
0: yeah, like the Street Fighter thing is is interesting. Like I think Antonio Conte probably revels in this. Like it definitely felt that Tuchel loved this, and uh, he was giving more away to Jeff Shires afterwards. And like he he was a big fan of of everything that happens, and and that's great. But Conte did as well. He Didn't give as much away in the aftermath, but he he went onto Instagram and on his uh, Instagram story posted a screenshot of Thomas Tuchel running past him as uh, he thought Chelsea just scored the winner in the 84th minute or whatever it was, and he said, "Look, yeah, I didn't see you." making you trip over would have been well-deserved. So I didn't realise that uh, he had his hand in his head just as Thomas Tuchel was speeding right past him. Uh, uh, Would have kicked out, like? uh, Yeah, like, obviously. That would have been amazing. laughing uh, emojis. But, like, uh, that's what it is. Like, I mean, any sort of outrage about the refereeing or the reaction to the refereeing or the uh, display by two men uh, who should know better, probably just a little bit pointless. It was just a collection of very, very funny moments. And um, a collection of very interesting characters. Like, I, didn't see, I didn't see Anthony Barry there yesterday. Uh, like, did, did you spot him? Like, I was keeping an eye out for him as I was trying. In, to, the, in the fight, in the like, just all, the, all these characters that we don't really, we aren't overly familiar with because um, we, just, we just aren't. We know their names, but we aren't necessarily sure what their faces. Like, I know, I know this is not the makeup of their backroom teams, but I kind of felt like everybody that was protecting Thomas Tuchel looked very German all of a sudden, and everybody who was protecting Antonio Conte looked very Italian all of a sudden. And it was like these, uh, these these clashes of two very passionate nations going toe-to-toe, even though that wasn't the truth at all. And the big, burly Tottenham or Chelsea security guard, the tattooed, bearded man who uh, just kind of stood back just a little bit before they uh, went head-to-head and then got in and stopped it, which is, uh, if you're into the entertainment business and also being a security man, that's how you
1: do your job very well. Shano Insano 210 on our YouTube comments says, GA are in the red for having soccer. Put their handshake. Confrontations to shame. I mean, we thought we'd seen the best handshake confrontation in world sport on our own shores, but it turns out we haven't. We were in the haveny place, really.
0: Well, ours was a particularly Irish one, especially the second one, where they both knew that the handshake thing was going to be a thing. And like to, again, middle-aged men, but this time uh, Irish men of a certain age, maybe very young ages, of course. Yeah. And they, uh, they decided, you know, no, we're not doing that for the time being. We're not, I'm, not, I'm not being the man to shake the hand first. Whereas uh, this was kind of more of a, a continental approach to a handshake beef, it was looking me in the eye, looking me in the eye like a like a real man.
1: Uh, Tuchel and Conte was everything that Cody and Shefflin should have been, but wasn't. As Henry bowed down to the more dominant male, says John O'Leary. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's uh, accurate, John. I think maybe uh, Henry decided not to like turn it into what Thomas Tuchel decided to turn it into. And uh, look. Maybe if it had been somebody, you know, maybe if it was somebody else, like would would two other GA managers have been capable of having something like this? Who weren't former teammates or colleagues or, you know, county men? Could you see this happening between say random manager and another county's random manager? Like could could Liam Cahill and Davey have something like this next season? Is that possible? I don't know. Well, hope like I mean if there were if we would certainly watch if there was any kindness in their soul they would give us
0: that level of theatre. You think we deserve it? Yeah, like I think that they need to go out of their way and they, they, this, we need to enter kind of a new WWE-esque phase of of managers fighting. Like, it, it is... I hadn't really bought into the whole Tottenham versus Chelsea, bad blood thing. I thought that the Battle of the Bridge was just one of those things. Like, it was a long... This is six years ago, and people are like, Battle of the Bridge, point, part two, as if, like, we'd been, like, eagerly sitting outside theatres waiting for this thing to arrive. Like, I mean, there's been a lot of fixtures played since then that... Haven't had this level of of fire between the two teams that I I I wasn't quite uh, expecting it. Like and I, I think I would kind of completely forgotten about some of the the fallout from the Battle of the Bridge one for, from from twenty sixteen. Like I'd completely forgotten that Mark Clattenburg went on a podcast a short time after and <laughs> essentially said that he was I was more than happy to to let the game explode that he he allowed them to, to self destruct so all the media in the world went. Tottenham lost. The title for themselves rather than Mark Lattenberg lost the title. I think he handed out like nine uh, yellow cards and the night to, to, was, was to, to Chelsea players, and wouldn't send off Tottenham players or something along those lines. And there was all these kind of like ridiculous um, storylines that came out from that. This is probably going to be something similar and the uh, the Anthony Taylor fallout is is going to be one of the storylines. Mike Dean being VAR I think is hilarious as well. That adds to it, that Mike Dean got his ironic farewell at the end of last season and his tentacles are still very much involved in yeah. the biggest game of the weekend.
1: <laughs> and, and do you have any sympathy with what Tuchel was saying afterwards?
0: A, l- a little bit. Like I thought it was a foul on Kai Havertz like uh, uh the the they're, hair pulling they're not thing.
1: being given those fouls aren't being given yeah anymore. they're not like, like I, I, I you know last season it was this
0: season it isn't hair hair pulling as well as uh like a, i mean you're an, you're not a big fan of the technically arguments like technically you couldn't uh, have given if it wasn't a red card you couldn't or a penalty then you can't really overturn the whole thing and and um give that as a as a, as a free to the defending team for example that's not how VAR works so
1: okay, well then there you go um, That's relatively, relatively straightforward, isn't it? Yeah, like I'm not. I, I, don't, I don't think that there's there's much in the the referees thing. To uh, be honest, Jared says I, I I love seeing the passion and aggression of the managers. As a Man United fan, I wish Manchester United had a manager like that. Exactly what the group needs. Maybe Eric Ten Hag is like that. It's just like, what are you going to be? What do you? Uh, who, who do you shoot? Everybody. That's the problem. Uh, Tuchel has a foot more reach, says Barry Lyons. Stop talking nonsense. That's obviously aimed at you. I mean, I think. Not sure. The, the footmore of Reach would be important if they were like following the Marcus of Queensbury rules. But what would be happening is that it would be a street fight where like Antonio Conte comes painted for war and wearing nothing. And Tuchel's like, uh, 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 you know, what's going on here? I don't, yeah. I don't know how to fight this enemy. I do, like, think, I do think that you're uh, riding Thomas Tuchel off in a street fight too soon. I think that there's like a... There's a, a craftiness there that maybe we were unaware of. I actually think this is the emergence of Thomas Tuchel as like one of the leaders of the Premier League. Because he arrived and won the Champions League straight away and then carefully, OK, managed the transition from the old owner to the new owner. But now he's like, you're not getting rid of him, are you? Chelsea fans are going to love him.
0: Uh, yeah, that, that, that helps. Just on, on the reach point. I mean, like I mean, the Nikolai Valuev had a longer reach than David Hay uh, way back when. Uh, so, uh, Marcus is, of
1: Queensbury ruled, as yeah, I said. Yes.
0: Um, the uh, Tuchel, like, yesterday was a really bad result for Chelsea, and Thomas Tuchel probably would have been lauded if they got the job done in the end. But they really should have got the job done in the end. Like Tottenham were very poor yesterday, and Chelsea were at home, and they had a real chance to kind of batten down one of their. Rivals with an early statement win yesterday because we we made this point with Mark Lawrence on on Friday morning that Spurs were the standout team from week one but there was just a sense that this is Chelsea and they've been a little bit undervalued maybe in the build-up to the season because they weren't as seemingly new and shiny as as Conte basically and and some of the players that he brought in in, in midway through last season. So Chelsea are still very good, and they've recruited well. I thought Cucurello was very good yesterday. Obviously, Koulibaly has been brilliant the first two games, and, um, and Raheem Sterling seems to be a better attacker for that uh, team than Romney Lukaku was. So they've improved since last season, and the Chelsea fans seem to be not only in love with Thomas Tuchel, but in love with their new custodian. And uh, there was a Todd Bowley-Tifo unfurled before the game yeah, yesterday. It seemed
1: is, like it might have been printed by Todd Bowley himself. You reckon? Yeah. Oh, it just felt it felt a little bit like, oh, the, the club officials are handing over the TVO to the fans. Here, look, Todd, Todd and Co. Uh, well, maybe I like, uh, do them all a disservice, and it was a completely spontaneous outpouring of joy from, you know, a, a bunch of fans for their billionaire owner, because you know they—they they feel like, oh, at least we're not the Glazers or it's not Abramovich anymore. Who we also would have happily said we love, even though yeah. you know there were some troubling issues in the background
0: do Chelsea fans love billionaires more than every other club
1: well they've certainly had a good impact on uh, the amount of trophies they've won that's how I guess that's how those sports fans are, are dealing with that uh, I, to, to the point though I think that this is in, like Tuchel far more character that we've seen from Tuchel in that 40 minutes 45 minutes yesterday than we've seen ever
0: uh, I'm not sure about that like yes there was, a, there was a lot of fire and passion but like and Yes, it was so entertaining. Like at the, at the same time, him running down the touchline, that doesn't happen for me unless it's a reaction to Conte in the first instance. So it feels like a little bit of a forced moment. And again, I don't, I don't want to take away from what that led to because it was brilliant. When he goes running down the touchline, I'm like fantastic, brilliant. And I wanted to see the replay. I wanted to see Conte's reaction, and, and it all adds to the theatre of it. Whether or not that kind of like creates like um, a better impression of Tuchel. I'm not necessarily sure. Like they say, It was still a bad result. Like, the football manager uh, got a
1: bad result uh, yesterday. Did he? to like absolutely you're not, you're got not, a bad you're result. You're not going to win every game. That spurs. But Taking you have a, to win that game. You don't. You yes, don't. you do. Yeah, actually 100% don't. you do. Over the course of the season, you just need to not drop points against your main rivals and then win all the other games. That's how you win the league. Except they're not going to win the league. No, you have to win the talk, games that you're dominant in. Well, and we're they gonna, were utterly dominant. We're going to talk about the, the league title race in a few moments' time. And this is all a little bit moot. But if, if Man City didn't exist... Drawing two all, like, an, okay, so it's a, it's a kick in the nuts where they score in the 97th minute. That's fine. But they played really well. Like, the most important thing here is that Chelsea are going to be excellent this season. And they're they still. it looks like they're still going to sign more players. Chelsea are going to be really good. I think that was the emergence of Tuchel as somebody going and, and winning people over and not just being this cold, austere, f- vaguely impenetrable character who we didn't really know that much about his pers- persona or personality. He showed far more personality yesterday, I think and whether or not it was inspired by Conte great this, that means this rivalry is going to be excellent
0: like, yeah I'm not saying that I'm not saying that it's not going to be a great rivalry I'm just saying yesterday was a bad result for Thomas Tuchel
1: okay I think in the long run it's a massive victory for Tuchel because he is 100% wedded to that fan base and that owner is looking at the fan base being on fuego going what we just I thought I thought this was. how does this work what's going on here oh, he's my guy but we got a tie what right we, do we need to move on uh, we can move
0: on like the the other just the only last thing from yesterday is uh i hope that there's like some um in the tunnel footage released because there was apparently an altercation between Conte and Mateo Kovacic as well uh, Kovacic was out through injury yesterday but Conte barged into Kovacic uh, which led to him. What shouting was this like saying?
1: What, what was what was he saying? It's that it's like oh, we know each other. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying too. What were they saying? I don't know.
0: Yeah, like I mean, there's um, there's a potential documentary in, in yesterday, so um, hopefully they'll be able to uncover a few more details as time goes by. So that's in the green. The managers, you love to see it. Like that's the thing. We're we're a mature bunch of uh, sports people at this point. Sports watchers, we can say that we uh, enjoy. Um, the, the beef between managers rather than and I think Sky Sports got particular joy out of saying that yesterday as well I think that was kind of being like you know look how emotionally intelligent we are that's what Sky was saying we can enjoy this thing and I think that was like a pointed statement towards the now very famous hand-wringing that BT Sport broadcaster
1: in the Atletico Madrid versus Manchester City uh, game last year yeah, Sky I mean, Sports
0: yesterday were like oh we're, I, we're I, mature I think you they have a the point
1: I've got to say right so watching the post-match interviews from after Lampard and Gerrard on Saturday they were kind of boring in a minute and a half like Jeff Shreves is four and a half minutes for both his manager ones and he's straight in going what happened with the red cards yeah do you know like for all the shit that Jeff, Reeve, Jeff Shreves gets I think he's actually pretty good at that stuff because it's difficult and you compare and contrast that with like Stephen Gerrard wasn't asked about Tyrone Mings after the game mm, that seems a, a what a, a big one to ma- ask about Mings oh thanks very much like what he's got, you've, got, you've got another three questions here buddy You've got it like another three minutes if you want it. Jared's like, actually delighted with himself because he's, he's going to lick himself. He's so happy. And they didn't ask him about Mings. Jeff Shrees would have asked about Jerome Mings.
0: It was interesting at the end of the Trees interview with Conte. He, he said one last question. And then after that, he said, one last question because I've been asked to ask you about the refereeing incidents. And I think, I don't know, just personal opinion, the refereeing conversation was a little bit fatiguing yesterday because I didn't really care all that much. Like, even, like, yeah, I didn't think, I thought it, it should have been a foul on Havertz, etc. But, like, I mean, who really cares? And uh, I know Conte, to be fair, didn't want to get into the brawl. Brawl is too strong. A word. didn't want to get into the altercation. And maybe maybe they had to ask some, some other sort of questions. But it's interesting that it's not just him who's asking the questions. That somebody in his ear is, like, asking him uh, to ask questions as as things happen. The other thing in their green this morning is uh, Paul and Finton, European champions. Once again, a good weekend for Irish rowing in general. you got the World Champions come, Championships coming up, so maybe this is a little bit of a, an indicator towards form, but a, a medal was all important at the weekend. We don't know, and I think Paula Donovan himself doesn't know whether or not he's going to row at the World Championships next month. He's uh, studying medicine at the moment and, and says he needs to, to study. Um, but just, again, just a reminder of why Paula Donovan is one of Ireland's greatest ever sports people and the story is still very much uh, in the middle right now. At the age of 28, there's, there's a lot of rowing to be done and obviously with a, a three-year turnaround between Olympic Games, I'm sure that's probably an extra incentive for, for a lot of people. Like it's Hall at the moment, a silver medal and a gold medal at the Olympic Games, four gold medals at the World Championships, two silvers, three goals at the European Championships. It's just an extraordinary level of normal brilliance from, from one of our... Um, one of our athletes and and, and O'Donovan's just been incredible obviously Fintan McCarthy has been a, a revelation as well ever since he's got into the boat with them um, on Saturday then as well Ireland had uh, a silver medal in the women's four so this is also at the same European Championships in Munich obviously so you had Emer Lam, Afri Keogh Tara Handel and Natalie Long they came second to uh, Great Britain in that particular race so Lam and Kyo were also in the Boat that won bronze in Tokyo last summer, so they're uh, also on a trajectory of uh, winning major medals on a regular basis.
1: It's not bad, is it? That's very impressive. I mean, we're doing something very right when it comes to the rowers, and it's hard to find new ways to talk about the level of brilliance they're exhibiting. It'd be great if they could go back to the World Championships. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure whatever college he's in will be like, that's okay, you take your time. We know you're going to get there eventually. Looks like you're a fairly high achiever. Don't worry about it. You can take as long as you need to get qualified. It's fine. Yeah, he said in
0: uh, his interview afterwards, he's like, uh, I'm not sure if people notice, but I'm a little bit stupid, so I need all the time to study. <laughs> I don't he's think like, he is. I don't think so whatsoever. I think that that's... Um, yeah. I, I often feel sorry for Fintan McCarthy in those interviews as well, because he's like, uh, Paul O'Donnell, this is the guy off the Graham Norton show, a, a world-class entertainer. And uh, I'm sure Fintan's a very funny guy as well, but uh, you're coming up against a world-class entertainer. It's like...
1: Well, you're you're evolving alongside. Yes, he's, he's putting yes. His, his his arm around him and saying, "You come on, you come with me. Yeah, we're going to do this together, buddy." To be fair, he was very,
0: uh, he, at least I don't know what he was saying. He was saying that Fintan kind of like dragged him through on uh, on Saturday, and and McCarthy did look spent at the end. He was kind of uh, his head down between his legs, almost at, at the the. the um at the finish line and uh, yeah O'Donoghue was just saying that he, he really kind of got him through that race and he'd obviously been in maybe a little bit better form going into the race
1: yeah you, you don't want to let Paul O'Donoghue down do you it, like, well that's uh, a very good point. inspiring. it's like yeah, yeah. now you, the deaths there afterwards if you hadn't pulled your weight would be um, pretty serious yeah because uh, the rowers are hard we're going to talk to Niall O'Toole tomorrow he's obviously over in Munich and um, we'll get his take on it he's always excellent at finding some context of uh, putting this uh, in in kind of sporting order for us and again the the difficulty is that when you said oh Ireland's greatest sports person even the reports are talking about you know, and they're listing off like Sonia Sullivan Roy Keane Harrington Roy McIlroy and it's like well they're right there you know it's just uh, once you start having those conversations like well I'm, I'm finding fault here and so we're not going to do that this morning maybe later in the week yeah exactly give us another
0: 24 hours um, in the Amber, we we'll go to Amber very quickly, uh, we'll make time for Manchester United there, so uh, in the Amber is uh, Ian Foster, and uh, the All Blacks got their win on Saturday, they ended a three-game losing streak and uh, beats out Africa away. I think a lot of people didn't expect this. Uh, I think that maybe people saw a, a golf the previous Saturday so t- to win 35, uh, 23 You would have thought it was a, a bit of a reprieve for Ian Foster, but it doesn't seem like it is at all. Like He comes out after the game and he says the stress that comes with a job uh, is, is pretty run-of-the-mill, but the reaction to the previous week was pretty vicious. He says there's been a, a lot of onslaught, particularly from our New Zealand media. Uh, that, w- that was his reaction after the game. But then there was a press call Later in the day, where New Zealand rugby boss Mark Robinson uh, goes out and at least if you're going to do a press call, be definitive in what you're saying. But it seems that the outcome from this press call was to create more noise around the future of of Ian Foster and more uncertainty around the future of Ian Foster. Um, I've seen one of the the journalists describe it as as bizarre. He says there will be a board meeting at some stage. The board is responsible for the appointment of a coach. That's to be determined in terms of timing. There's been no issues with regards to my relationship with Ian Foster. He's he's had the support of New Zealand rugby and that remains. We just need to work through this period to understand where the next steps are with this management team.
1: Yeah, so the rumour was that he'd been told you're going to have to resign if you lose this game, which, you know, you can't actually force somebody to resign but the suspicion was that they had come up with some kind of, we don't sack our coaches. And so this would not be a sacking, but, you know, we're parting ways mutually, except it's not really mutual. You're going to have to go here, Fuzzy, And then the team come out and are brilliant. And it's like, well, what are you going to do now? Who's, who's, what? you're going to force me to resign now. let's just see and so the press conference seems really bizarre it's like oh I know I'll put the fire out here and it's like with my flamethrower oh shit you're on fire Mm. oh you're on fire too oh can we put it out spray a bit more fire so I don't know I mean I think you'd have to say beating South Africa in South Africa is like about as difficult a thing as you can do at the moment and they did it really well you know so like does he not does he not automatically get another chance like it, it was
0: a that was a serious misstep to tell somebody the outcome uh, or what, what you want them to do if something happens. Like it just show, show first of all a complete lack of belief that they would get the job done. I suspect because you clearly didn't envisage a scenario where he wouldn't win. Otherwise, you wouldn't be having that conversation with the head coach of your team. But regardless of that, it's just a very silly thing to do. Like you, you gotta look, you got, gotta act with a little degree of certainty if you're hoping that your head coach is going to resign to make you look good because that's. I think what New Zealand rugby are hoping Ian Foster does here, that if they lose badly, whatever, at home, or if they lose one of the tests to Argentina, then they're back in that situation again where Ian Foster's head is on the chopping block. They need Ian Foster to do them a favour by resigning because they're not going to sack him because that's not what the New
1: Zealand way is well it's also it's not an easy in way but we've, we've talked about this with Justin Marshall at various stages and he was making the point that like you're going to have a whole new backroom team coming mm. in and you're going to have to pay off the backroom team some of whom you've just hired so that's their full contract that you're going to may, maybe they're still within their period of time where you can get rid of them on probation but I suspect not I suspect that they're like uh, certainly there's some kind of bit there in their contract where they're like yeah you're going to have to pay me the full deal if we get sacked here because like otherwise why would I do it um, so maybe they don't have the money to do it and like Maybe, maybe coaches learn from periods of adversity. That's possible, right? Mm. And also when it comes to the
0: people that they've just hired think two games is desperately unfair to make a judgment on and Foster was praising Jason Ryan and the work that he's done with the the forwards pack after Saturday so his work is starting to to show itself after two games and all of a sudden if you're getting rid of the the team en masse and that doesn't work now I know that he's got a Crusaders link himself so so maybe uh, like the when Robertson comes in if he's going to be the successor then maybe all the the people that he's worked with in the past end up uh, end up staying anyway but uh, it it feels that they've, they've kind of the, the mess is there because the team isn't great at the moment, but the mess has been inflamed hugely by the the, the, the way that they've handled it on a diplomatic level.
1: We did ask the question if Razzie might this week be playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers by, you know, trying out some new things, having a little bit of a vanilla approach to the attack and the defence and just saying, let's go and see how certain players play. Because um, they, they dropped the out of the match from the previous week dropped you know he ends up coming on pretty early right Um, Pascal Jacobs says winning wasn't the be-all and end-all for Razzie (coughs) he experimented how else do you explain Malcolm Marks on the bench and the lack of poaching attempts that destroyed the All Blacks last week and Barbalatza 83 says the New Zealand resurgence isn't anywhere near as emphatic as the media are spinning it was a very tight affair three tries not given to the box wasn't that the same as Ireland's first test in New Zealand Uh, well look what um, media are spinning that
0: it's an emphatic resurgence like i don't think anybody I is i don't think anybody is like it's um a state of execution is literally the tone that i've seen everywhere but maybe i've missed it um
1: but maybe razzie didn't care and that transmitted to the players and it's actually like what south africa have done is massively expand the pool of players who they think can compete against the best teams in pressure moments you know yeah i still think south africa are the favorites of the world cup france and south africa are 50-50 for me the the home advantage
0: thing makes a would probably leans it in in, in France's um, favor just, just a little bit. Home advantage, home pressure, home pressure as well. France, it seems that they've got to grips with that pressure on a certain level before now. Anyway, where the the Six Nations victory was obviously a, a it felt like a big enough staging point early in the year, and uh, and, and that should probably translate into next year. But it, it is hard to make a case they're not the two top teams in the world at the moment. Even though of course, you know, the world rankings wouldn't tell you that. No, we're we're the best. Mm. Well, at what point do we start, uh, you know, th- talking ourselves up at, at this point? Like, we've, I
1: think after the semi-final victory, I, that, I think that's probably a good, good enough time. Yeah, yeah, we, we might, might uh, we might
0: edge towards that, suggesting that Ireland could be in a good place at that point. So, yeah.
1: uh, you know, will we will we keep it kicked <laughs> out to them at all? I don't know. Mm. It'll be on uh, in South Africa in that final.
0: That's, so wasn't that what we agreed on last week? Yeah. So yeah, chalk that down.
1: It's uh, 7.57. you got to give the people what they demand, Owen. People on our YouTube comments are like, what? Where's the, I've, I've come for the manual letter in red. You've, this is all a bit tantra. What's going on?
0: Oh yeah, we're uh, finishing on, on the red this week. Premier League title race in red. I'm not sure about this, to be honest. Uh, Liverpool could win tonight and the title race is fine. Man City looked good. Man City looked good in a lot of games last season as well uh, at home. And... Uh, Looked mortal in other games, and uh, like we'll we'll see. Let's let's write off to the Premier League title race in a few months' time. Uh, Manchester United. Then, um, like this is this is like when we question every Monday morning, is this a new low for Manchester United? It is a genuine question because there have been so many different low points, and you're not quite sure which is the lowest of the low. But there's no doubt that this is the low point, isn't it? No, this no is it. No? no. They
1: could finish twelfth. No, but I mean to date. I mean two days. Oh, uh, uh, to, to date, it is. I suspect because there is no hope abandon hope all ye who enter here there is no hope at the moment like it's really interesting the focus on the money in the aftermath of the performance like that like um, that it's the Glazers fault and I I appreciate that there's a pie chart of blame to go around here but like the give us percentages on that pie chart you'd probably say it's like uh, 45% the ownership and management like uh, you know Um, you would say Ed Woodward previously and at the moment Richard Arnold because he hasn't done anything of any significance that has impacted the quality of football. But you would then also have to say like the football people at the club who are supposed to be good men, what percentage of the blame do they own? Is it like 35% for Fletcher and Myrta? Is it? I mean it has to be very high because they're presiding over this they're the ones who are supposed to be the the brain like the, the, the percentage where the money comes from is of a fascination exclusively to the Manchester United fans but the money has been spent a billion has been spent they raised the money they raised the money by like selling tractors in Ukraine and uh Now, they're spending that money and have spent that money on football. It's like, oh, but they didn't put any of their own money in. Yeah, fair enough, but they did also hire the people on that side of the business who seem to be doing quite a good job raising money. And um, the debt is like 500 million or whatever it is on an asset worth five and a half to eight billion, depending on, on what you're getting. So the Denver Broncos just sold for four and a half or five billion. Manchester United are worth more than the Denver Broncos. That's a newsflash to nobody, right? So the debt is actually quite a small proportion of the value of the thing, which is like the mortgage on your house is less than ten percent of the value of the house. Everybody's pretty comfortable with that. Whether or not that debt goes down is largely irrelevant because if a new owner comes in, they're going to be able to pay for that pretty quickly. So that's why I don't have the glazers as like this kind of, you know, the the fish rots from the head is the only thing that's wrong. Like Cristiano is the second greatest footballer of his generation. Is he? Is he do he have no responsibility here? It was all Pogba's fault last year. And then they got rid of him and the same problems persist. It's like, well, maybe it wasn't just Pogba. Uh, like, De Gea is an issue. You can't play that style of football with De Gea. We've, we've said this, like, for a long period of time and he's, you know, centrally responsible for the killer second goal yesterday after being entirely responsible for the killer opening goal on Saturday. Uh, so I would say, is it 45, 35? And then whatever's left vast majority of the players and then 1% Ten Hag like I can't I can't just blame him just yet he might be no good yeah I keep seeing the comparisons with De Boer and I'm like that's pretty harsh that's pretty harsh but it has happened where somebody has come in and just been completely overwhelmed by what's going on and it turns out they weren't great because they were like uh, operating at a much lower level it turns out so I'm not I'm not saying it's De Boer but you know it's like it's possible he might be De Boer hmm yeah, the
0: the De Gea point you make there is actually quite damning for the manager, isn't it? That you, well, the most important well, and in your playing uh, off in the back wheel is your goalkeeper, yep. and Dan Hag knows he's crap at that element. But is he just trying to send a message to those that are above him, being like, "We need a new goalkeeper"? Well, you, but, know, you have to just let one go. this summer who saved a penalty yesterday, and was um, and was it was pretty impressive. So I don't know, but yeah, I think there's I think the pie chart thing is definitely accurate, and like there is. A lot of questions to be asked, though, about those people who are running the club with the Glazers' money. And even, kind of, when you look back at some of the stuff that Richard Arnold said in those conversations with fans at the pub in the off season, like there's some interesting tidbits on that. Like, I kind of had a lot of sympathy for him at that point and some of the stuff that he was saying, and some of the stuff kind of you could say that he made like reasonable arguments. Like, he made a point to the fans that they shouldn't be. Attacking the sponsors of the clubs because if you do that, then you're hurting the team. If you love the club, you wouldn't be doing that. You wouldn't be trying to boycott these the sponsors or leaving crap reviews on whatever whatever the fans were doing the, the movement. And I'm not sure. Like I think at this point, people are like, "Well, screw that." And I can see the anger that people have will have towards the owners and the sort of the, the sabotage that may recommence on that front. I think that he's probably his stock has
1: plummeted, but everybody's
0: stock has plummeted over these first few weeks of the season.
1: Uh, Shifty Lad asks lads, were Jose and Ole actually overachieving? And Tennis Tank says, Christian Eriksen must be cursing his decision. I don't think Christian Eriksen is cursing his decision. I think things are going to work out for Eriksen over a period of time. He's a good footballer and they will get more players around him who understand what he's trying to do. And the next goalkeeper will chip the ball over his head and he'll be fine. Like, there's a fairly obvious solution to that. Like, I think the thing about getting rid of the goalkeeper is that. He's the second or third highest paid goalkeeper in world football. So mm. you can't get rid of him. No one's going to pay him. You, you you can't get any value from anybody in the world for David De Gea right now. Like, where are you going to sell him to? The only two, maybe there's a third option. There are, like the, the Champions League season in, season out clubs in Spain might be interested in the fourth or fifth best Spanish goalkeeper in the world. But all three of Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico... Have world-class goalkeepers, and they wouldn't look sideways. There's not a chance they're going to look and go, "Oh yeah, we'll take you, De Gea, and replace our guys who are getting paid less and nowhere near, or, or far better than you." That's not going to happen. So who's going to take him?
0: Yeah, I, like I don't. I think it's kind of a very short-term problem for Manchester United, though. Like it. it it's, obviously, the Gea is a conversation because of how the game went on Saturday and the first uh, incident in particular was absolutely horrendous. Like, to be fair, I think even playing off from the back makes him look worse because he may, maybe just doesn't fit into a system that Ten Hag wants to play, but at least his contract is, is done next summer and he'll be at the gap and that that'll be one issue solved next summer. It's been some of the longer term contracts that are obviously a little bit harder to a little bit harder to sort. And like I mean we had the, the Jaden Sancho conversation uh last week. I mean the the Anthony Martial yeah, contract We were, is we were very wrong about
1: we were very wrong about all those players, weren't we?
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there was like there's the no, not wrong the maguire Varan um contracts go a bit longer as well. So at least with De Gea, his his contract expiration is is next year unless there's like a, another are you
1: sure
0: it, unless it's 2024 that there's like a 12 month trigger or something like that that I've completely forgotten about um, but I, I thought that he was gone uh, next summer
1: I'm not, I'm not sure I'm not sure I, I would. I, it'd be good to get confirmation from the club because if that's the case I, I, I don't think it is the case but I think um, I'm just trying to uh, spot track say the end of the 24 season okay right um, 20 million a year for
0: for that I think uh transfer market said 2023 so um one of the, one of those two things is wrong so w- whatever uh, anyway it's a, it's a problem right now for Manchester United
1: it is a problem right now did you did you see Harry Archer's contract at Nottingham Forest automatically renewed for an extra season if they won promotion and they won promotion even though he was out on loan for last year so he got a pay rise and an extra year from Forest when they won promotion. I mean, that's how football contracts work. So, I mean, it's possible that they're stuck with David Hay until like twenty forty four. I don't know.
0: Like the opposite of a of, of a bonus contract. It's like every position we fall down the table, uh, you will get another year in your contract.
1: All right. Is that what? Everything else in the red? Was there something else? Yeah. No. That. That just was it. Really, yeah. That's that's it. OTB.